Hello, welcome to Seen Them Given, the show about the laws of the game and the people who enforce them. Coming up, Graham Sunez called it a leg breaker. We'll discuss why Manchester United were the beneficiaries of light touch refereeing a week after Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had complained about it. Why Arsenal have a reason to grumble, but Chelsea perhaps don't. How do missed incidents get handled by the Football Association? The advantage law has been played well and not so well this week. We'll take a look at why. If we've got time, we'll talk offside and interfering with play, plus something that grinds the gears of many football fans. What do the laws of the game have to say about players who shield the ball out of play? I'm Mike McCarthy. With me to discuss all the week's big talking points is the former FIFA referee and former head of the PGMOL, Keith Hackett. How are you doing? I'm fine, Mike. So let's start then. At Molyneux, a match between Wolves and Manchester United settled ultimately by a single goal. But was there a foul in the build-up as Paul Pogba challenged Ruben Neves? We've had a few looks at this. Keith, what do you think of it? I think it's a really interesting one because Mike Dean was in a good position. Um, He's adapted well as a referee to this lighter touch. Remember that last season he was averaging four yellow cards a game. The, the referee with the history of producing most yellow cards or more yellow cards than any other referee. On, on first view, I thought it was okay. Just like Mike D. Mike was close to it, thought he had a good view. And then I saw the replay uh, from a different angle later, after the game had finished, believe it or not, Mike. And um, it's clear that Pogba has come in. His challenge is reckless. He did catch the player despite that first view and probably the only view that we had initially. And as a result, the goal should have been disallowed and uh, Pogba sanctioned Pogba with at least a yellow card. You know, I'm, I'm mindful not to say leg breakers because it's difficult for me to understand that a player would do that to a, an opponent. Understanding that the laws of the game are there for players to play within the laws and, uh, to effectively have a duty of care towards an opponent. So I think Mike Dean, had he seen it in the way that we've seen it from that that second view, that different angle, I think he might have dismissed. He might have taken that view that it is excessive force as well. I'm sort of just erring on the side of a yellow because of my initial reaction of what I saw. But I think that... um, you know, I can understand why people were aggrieved that, that 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 challenge was not punished and the goal was allowed. 50-50 challenges like that seem like the toughest ones to call in real time, Keith. And as we've seen there from, from Mike Dean, a very experienced referee, but had he had another look at it, he may well have made a different uh, decision. As a kid, when you're learning the game, one of the things you're taught is if you don't go in with your full body going into the challenge. If you go in weak, you are the one that is going to get hurt in the challenge. So don't pull out of it. But as a referee, you've got to be mindful of two players thinking exactly the same thing. So when you're looking at those moments, what is it that you're looking for to make sure a challenge is safe and not reckless? Well, I think, first of all, you're applying the law and understanding the law. For example, if if I look at uh, that particular challenge, I think that there was a chance that Pogba's 
foot was in contact with the ground when he made when he made that challenge. And I think that gives him a degree of control. It gives him that ability to pull out of the challenge. There is a bit of a, a sort of quandary because I think average fans don't realise that even without contact, you can still be reckless. We've discussed this in the past. So I think that you're looking at the uh, position of the feet. Are the studs showing? Yes, they were. Was there excessive force? I have some doubt. I think that's the area that I have some doubt and go with the player. Did he endanger the safety of an opponent? Now, again, this is where I'm looking for the boxes to be ticked. Uh, I think that was there malice in that challenge? And I, I couldn't judge that. And I'm, I'm going on the first view. I'm, I'm trying to be fair to the player. It's easy to give a red card. But you're looking for, did the player launch himself off the ground with one or two feet? Was the, was the feet in contact with the ground? Because if, it's, if there's no contact with the ground, you're out of control, you can't change direction, you can't pull out of the challenge, it's a crash. And in that situation, you have endangered the safety of an opponent and you give a red card. And, you know, I've, I've sort of been answering social media questions because, you know, referees themselves ask the question. And I say, it's your decision on the day, Mr. Referee, how you make that judgment. I'm seeing it from the advantage of seeing it on more than one occasion. And that's why I'm saying I'm giving some benefit of the doubt towards Pogba. Definite foul, minimum yellow card. Some would give red because they would see it as excessive force and out of control. And then I'm trying to be fair with the VAR because the VAR didn't intervene. And when I look for a second time, I'm thinking this is a clear and obvious error by Mike Dean. VAR should have come in. So if I was the boss, I'm no longer the boss, but if I was the boss of PJMOL, I'd ask the VAR to talk me through the incident. I'd ask Mike Dean to talk me through the incident. How did they see it? I think Mike on this occasion was probably too close. Uh, and the camera put us in fairly close to the challenge. I think in the case of VAR, did he have all the viewing angles that were afforded to television. Remember, there's 22 cameras that can pull in 22 views minimum. That might not be available quickly to the VAR. And the VAR, under this new lighter touch, they've been told, is this clear and obvious? And I'm saying on first view, I didn't see it as a clear and obvious error myself. So I understand in the round, why we had this error, why VAR didn't come in, and why Mike Dean didn't see it. And this is, to some degree, it's football. Now, one of the criteria I wondered whether you might bring up is often what you see on social media, and again, whether it's part of the law or not, we can discuss. Pogba's foot going over the ball. Does that tick a box in terms of a referee's view of whether a challenge can be considered reckless or endangering an opponent and how much of that comes into the calculation? Well, I think as referees, we grow our experience uh, and the law is quite clear. You can't use the ball as an excuse. So even if you, first of all, make contact with the ball and then the man, that can still be a, a red card challenge. And so often we hear the comments 
the ball was played first and then he took through. Sorry, you've still crashed the car and you're still getting a red card or you're getting a yellow card, depending on how the referee sees it. And what you do at the PGMOL, and I'm sure this process is in operation, Mike, and that is you bring the referees together on a regular basis. You look at the videos, you ask, you know, on this one, you might be asking Mike Dean, okay, Mike, talk us through it. Mike's going to say, it looks okay to me. VAR is going to say, it's, it's okay to me. But then what's got to happen is Mike Riley's got to come in and say, well, just a minute, the outcome of this challenge should be a minimum yellow card. Or what is the view of other referees? And then you have a debate and discussion in which you formulate how you're going to deal with a similar challenge. Are you going to put it in the category of the red box or the yellow box in order to get consistency? But around this, this old scenario this season is the actual challenge to the referees. Because we've got the lighter touch in operation. There's no question that we're seeing referees adopt a lighter touch. And in it, you are relying very much on the players uh, acting responsibly. And, you know, if fouled and an advantage is played, get up and play. Don't look for retribution and retaliation. And so uh, if you can imagine a kettle, Mike, uh, that you've got on the stove, what you've got to try to do as a referee is not let it get to boiling point. So your actually interference level as a referee is judging when to come in to control the temperature of the game. And you've got to, within that format, either keep talking to players to say, look, I saw the foul, I applied an advantage, I hope you're happy with that. And, and a response from the player might give you an indication that he's not happy. And therefore, if that player's involved again, how many times can you, for example, you know, if, if you've got a player like Salah, for example, in the Liverpool game, mm. we saw him, um, have a, you know, he's a player who's on the ball a lot. As a result, he's going to get challenged more. And because of his skill sets, he's going to be fouled. So part of your responsibility, in fairness to Salah, is to, is to judge, can I apply an advantage? If I have, do I, do I make certain I talk to him? Is he happy? If he's not, then you start pulling the free kicks. Otherwise, you get what you had uh, at the weekend, and that is he's fouled. It's a small foul. He's got a small pull. He thinks he should have a foul. Um, it's in a position where you wouldn't apply advantage. It's out too wide. Sadly, the referee didn't give a free kick. The result of that was uh, Salah kicking the ball away in an act of frustration. It ain't frustration in the laws of the game. That is an act of dissent. It, there's no verbal. It's a dissent by action. So Salah was very lucky not to get a yellow card. In the same way that Fabino of Liverpool, uh, under this new lighter touch, was taking some advantage here. A bit of a ding here, then another foul. He's a very active defender. And he, he, and he, he, he was, he's a superb player. Uh, but he's on the ball a lot. And therefore, he's, he's, you know, his challenges are foul here, foul there, foul there. The referee's got to tabulate this. 
And I think given the number of fouls that Fabinho did in the Liverpool game, he too gained under the lighter touch and didn't receive a caution for persistently infringing the laws. So he was lucky. Yeah, pl- plenty for Anthony Taylor to to deal with at Anfield over the weekend. Let's talk about that Liverpool-Chelsea yeah. game, particularly the, the, the huge moment of it. Rhys James, a handball on the line. I think we need to explain why this is the correct decision, Keith, because a lot of talk on social media has, has, has discussed this as to whether it was right. So let's first of all, in law, say that this is the right decision and why it's the right decision. Well, because, I mean, first of all, the law has been changed and therefore we're not into that deflection off here and deflection off there, there and everywhere. This is uh, an action by the player who uh, deliberately handles the ball. He makes the movement of his hand and arm towards the ball to prevent it entering the goal. So, first of all, he's committed an offence by his action, moving his hand and arm towards the ball, so that is handball. And in doing so, he's he's denied an obvious goal. So in that situation, the law is clear, that's a red card. Now, the debate that I've had with one or two people is, well, just a minute, we talked about triple jeopardy here. Triple jeopardy in this scenario does not come into play. So if you, if you have, for example, a holding offence by a defender in the penalty area and he's got a clear chance at goal, that's denial of an obvious goal-scoring opportunity. Red card. It only becomes a yellow if the, the defender, the goalkeeper or, or the defender, has made a very clear, if you like, action for the ball and then fouls. And in that situation triple jeopardy it doesn't come into play it gets a yellow and a penalty the award of a penalty kick what did you make of the behavior of the chelsea players after that oh. penalty award because we had uh one player i think it was rudiger trying to scuff up the penalty spot we had the goalkeeper mendy not retreating back to his line we had players on the chelsea side taking it in turns to uh, have a go at the official it took forever for that spot kick to be taken yeah, I think this was pretty good uh, reaction by an experience by Anthony Taylor to not to keep his calm. He knew that he wanted a penalty kick. He knew that he could add time, and this is the dilemma that he faces. Eventually, he did caution. But uh, what I'd like to think is going to happen uh, today or tomorrow is that the Football Association charge. Uh, Chelsea with failing to control their players. In the past, if three or more players surrounded the referee, then that was the signal for the FA to come in and uh, and bring that charge of failing to control the players. So I think that, you know, you've got a very experienced referee in, in Anthony Taylor. He did superbly at Euros. He's continued to do that. It was a tough assignment. It becomes more difficult when, as a referee, you're trying to get that balance in terms of what's the lighter touch. His decision was spot on. It was great from the VAR. It was quick. Um, The only problem, Mike, was um, when Anthony viewed the screen. 
But I'm glad you brought this up because I'm just wondering whether if he takes another five, ten seconds looking at the monitor, some of the reaction from the Chelsea players might have lessened. I guess we'll never know. But can he sell it a bit more? The whole aspect of a referee going to the screen, you know, he's got a very, he's got Chris Cavallo in his ear, a very experienced referee who was also out at Euros 2020s. So both of them sat in those meetings, uh, you know, headed by Roberto Rossetti, saying this is how we want you to perform. So they've come back, I think, better officials than last season. They're improved. So I, th I think that uh, there's a trust between the VAR and the referee. And I think that trust was, I've seen it. You're going to penalise it. However, we're now going to go to the monitor to help sell the decision. And that's what I think Anthony Taylor did. He went to sell the decision. I think that in future they will learn that they've got to view the video clip. And I think had he viewed the video clip, Mike, there would have been better response. There's no doubt that on social media, there's a lot of concern that, again, they're back to this. The VAR's made the call and not the referee. It was the right decision at the end of the day. And we're talking about minor scenarios. They'll learn from it. You know, Anthony Taylor's will learn from that situation, I'm sure. Should also say Chelsea's goal came from a great spot from the officials to award a corner in the first place before Havertz gave uh, Chelsea the lead. So we shouldn't uh, move on from Anfield before uh, pointing out that great bit of referee. Absolutely. There's some good officiating at the weekend again. But I think what we've got to understand is we've got the key, the, we've got the key referees out. I think Mike Riley's doing the right thing. The first three weeks of appointments, he said, right, I'm going to use the best referees that I've got in the group, the most experienced. I'm going to put very efficient and, and VAR operators that have, have worked well in Europe, some of them at well, Cavana, and uh, hey, let's try and get through the opening games of the season, demonstrating the lighter touch and get the players to respond. I still feel that uh, Mike Riley needs to probably have three regional meetings in, in about you know six to eight weeks into the season to be able to say, right, okay, let's have an open discussion with the managers and uh, let's see what their feelings are. Because after all, Mike, it is the clubs and the Premier League that want this from the PGMOL. And in a way, they brought the, the House of Stone down a bit because Mike Riley's a little bit like Margaret Thatcher, not for turning. And therefore, we have seen a slight movement brought on by the pressure of the clubs and the Premier League. And I think... You know, just on what I'm viewing, I'm seeing dynamic games played uh, with a degree of passion and a reasonable balance of refereeing. Yes, we've had those big decisions. You know, the Pogba and the James one stand out this weekend as areas for debate and discussion. Seen Them Given is supported by Premier Events, one of the UK's leading event management and event production companies. Premier pride themselves not only on offering first-class customer service, but more importantly, they take the stress out of planning events for corporate and private clients alike. Many of us 
are working more from home. So whether it's a fully virtual business update on Premier's very own streaming platform, a glamorous in-person awards ceremony, or a hybrid of the two for a retailer conference, Premier has everything under one roof to deliver stress-free, world-class events. Premier's team supports you every step of the way. That includes creating and designing content to ensure your audience is engaged and motivated, proud and energised. Whatever your goal, Premier's experienced creative team are on hand to guide you through the process. From their base in Leicestershire, Premier are perfectly positioned to service the whole of the UK and beyond. They even offer a free venue finding service for in-person events to ensure the best space possible for your budget. Visit www.premier-limited.com to take the first step towards taking the stress as of your next event. Now, as we've discussed many times, referees will not see everything, even with the assistance of a, of a VAR. So I wanted to just point out three incidents from the weekend, Keith, and what might happen this week with any of them if it's deemed that more action might need to be taken. So in the Manchester City-Arsenal game, perhaps Arsenal can have a grumble, a uh, challenge by Laporte on Chambers ahead of Manchester City's second goal. In the Derby Forest, East Midlands Derby, always a fiery game. There appears to be a stamp from Forsyth on Zinkenagel. The replays did not look particularly good. And yeah. then Sunderland against Wickham in League One. Daryl Horgan, the uh, Wickham forward, with what looked like a punch on Luke 09 of Sunderland. Now, in all three cases, what will happen once the referees have written their reports about those games in terms of disciplinary action afterwards? Well, I think, first of all, they didn't see them in the way that the video clearly clarifies the situation. Uh, within the Championship and the League, we don't have VAR. Within the Premier League, we do. I was surprised in the Arsenal game when that, you know, the, the, the defender was holding the chest of his opponent and in trying to break free, there's no doubt, uh, the hand came into contact with the face. It was a bit of a swipe uh, across the face of an opponent that's an offence, and therefore it should have been seen, it should have been acted upon. What will happen in uh, all those situations is that it's likely that the clubs will make in their report reference to them. They could, in fact, do a, a direct complaint to the Football Association, uh, in which then, and it's the Football Association that's responsible for uh, the disciplinary uh, within, within football. So that might be a club that stimulates that. It might be the manager. Um, it might be, you know, the ground controller in the stadium. You know, it might just be a normal fan writing in, believe it or not. There's levels of belief within that. So I don't want the FA to be inundated with correspondence. But the, the reality is, what will happen is the clip will be will be sent to the referee. He will be asked, did, did he see it? If he saw it, what action did he take? Was he satisfied that he had seen it and that there was no sanction required or he didn't see it as a, an offence? Referees do make mistakes. Or if he says, I've not seen it, he might just say, had I seen it, I would have sanctioned his two assistant referees will be asked the same question. And as a result, their outcome is if they've seen it or not seen it, will determine whether 
the Football Association then themselves take disciplinary action. I would like to think in the interests of the game that players need to understand that all games in the professional environment are covered by television. And hopefully we could use television as a bit of a deterrent. And, and therefore, I would like to see punishment of these players. Uh, you know, as, at, at the Sunderland game, it was, it, was a, it was a punch. It was very clear. The stamp was there. And so was the handing off. And I just want, you know, I don't question the integrity of referees and neither do I question the courage. I'm, I'm sure that had they seen those offences, they're not offences that can be ignored. How quickly can the wheels of justice turn in these sort of situations because often you'll see a statement maybe from the football association saying there's been a charge and then you know there's a certain amount of time for a player or a club to answer that charge it it can take a while this process yes it can the, the process on uh, on on all disciplinary matters is pretty quick compared to what it used to be i mean in my day you had to write a fairly lengthy report and put it in the post and you tried to do that for monday morning and then uh, a guy called Joe Guest, who's now number two at the uh, Canadian Soccer Association, brought in a system where you could actually phone in under a form, and now it's done on computers. So the whole aspect is that um, you, you can get the process in. If a club wants to appeal, by the way, against the sending off, then that's expected to be in by 12 noon on a Monday. So it, it's a pretty quick process. Other than... Uh, if you get into the realms in these situations where the club will be sent a video clip if the FA decide that this is worthy of a charge, the club then gets it and they're given so many days in which to uh, go through the appeal process. That might that then allows them to either consult with experts or consult with lawyers because that's where it's at at times mm. in order to determine we accept the charge or we're going to appeal against it. Have you ever been questioned by a, a lawyer about a decision you made on a football pitch, Keith? Absolutely. Uh, that used to happen fairly frequently. And at times it got uh, pretty aggressive. You know, some of these clubs at the very highest level would bring in QCs uh, of, of great reputation and therefore they would try to uh, interrogate you. And, on, uh, you know, certainly... I can recall several where the appeals were made. I'm pleased to say that they lost all of them. But also, you usually have a very strong chairman who's, who's listening into the appeal. Uh, but a lot of those processes now don't mean you have to travel to London and spend a day away from work and do all those things. A lot is done online. And I, I believe the people who are making the decisions now on those appeals are an ex-manager, ex-player, ex-referee. So I think there's a degree of balance. And then there has to be a degree of trust. Because at the end of the day, you want the process to be quick. You want it to be accurate. You want it to be fair. And sometimes it's a two-to-one vote. So the referee might be outvoted by the manager and the player in certain circumstances. And, uh, you know, I've had that when I was boss of the PGML saying, look, this is a definite denial of an obvious scoring opportunity. It fulfills the criteria. How can they win the appeal? And they, they won the appeal, perhaps, a little, because the manager and player didn't quite fully understand the nuances of the, the law. 
Well, I look forward to seeing what happens with those three incidents in particular. We should just timestamp this and say we are discussing these incidents on Monday morning after the weekend. So if uh, you're listening to this later in the week and there have been some charges or indeed there haven't, uh, that's where we are. Um, the advantage law I wanted to discuss with you, Keith, this week because we saw two very contrasting examples uh, from the Brighton game and yeah. from the Norwich game against Leicester at the weekend. Brighton Everton first of all, John Moss perhaps blowing a little bit early, Robert Jones allowing Leicester to play on after James Madison appeared to have been fouled and it resulted in a Leicester goal. Everton denied perhaps a goal-scoring opportunity. Mm. Making that judgment over when to blow your whistle, it seems so crucial. Um, what are the things that referees should be looking out for then to make sure they try and get that timing right? I think you've got to have an understanding and be able to read the game. And and you know, if you if you if you get to the top echelons of the football league and the Premier League, you you've developed that skill set. Uh, and surprisingly, John Moss, I think, has been an ex-pro player. So I was a little bit surprised. He, you know, sometimes you do get you do get the advantage wrong. I mean, effectively, when I operated as referee for most of my career. If I shouted advantage and signal advantage, and I love to play advantage, I just kept the game flowing. Sometimes, Mike, being honest, it was I ain't got a clue what what's happened. I'm just shouting <laughs> play on. Uh, and it got me out of jail on many occasions. But I think in reality, um, in, in our day, when we applied that signal and advantage, that was the end of the matter. Couldn't go back. Referees now have got a degree of time. They say three seconds, you know, whatever it is is down to the referee and his ability and courage to be able to say, right, okay, I can extend a bit just to judge whether the outcome is going to be applied. There's a risk when you apply advantage and you've got to take care because applying an advantage, I would suggest that the only time you apply an advantage on a a sanction is if you're absolutely 100% certain the goal's going to result. If not, don't play it because there's such a risk of retaliation and mass confrontation. In the case of John Moss, he came in too early. And that, that's the danger of misreading, like a player. Look, players make mistakes. They make wrong passes. And John Moss made a mistake. He's generally a referee that applies a lot of advantage. He's got that weird running action and one hand, arm sticking in the air. Uh, when he applies it. So it stands out a little bit like in the past, Roger Roger Kirkpatrick, who was another referee before my time who, who applied a lot of uh, advantage. So once you've applied it now, you've got probably three or four seconds to pull it back. Robert Jones, who's relatively new to the Premier League, just it was just an outstanding piece of refereeing. And I, I applaud it. You almost want the Leicester players to turn back and shake his hand and say thank you very much but that's not going to happen <laughs> but for another referee ex-referee watching a referee who's relatively new to the Premier League read it so well and apply such a positive advantage is a brilliant piece of refereeing so I think that I'd encourage young referees if they feel that the game's not at risk there's not a retaliation this is where I think in a way, it makes a difference between the good and the very good referees. The very good referees apply those advantages. But here's a word of caution. If as a young referee, you've applied a caution, you haven't suffered the pain of that challenge. You know, you might have the player who's being fouled 
uh, sat on his backside and rubbing his leg in agony. The risk is that he's going to get up and retaliate. The risk is that the next challenge is going to put one in. And this is why the management process has to be, I've applied an advantage, not on every occasion, but the chance that you get to be in the zone of the player that you've applied advantage, tell him. Tell her if she's, uh, it's a woman's game, look, I've applied advantage here. Are you happy? Look at his face, look at her face in, in the case of a women's game. So I think that I'd encourage referees to apply it, but give yourself some experience and give yourself, how does these teams react? You know, in certain situations, in volatile scenarios, I talk about the referees putting the foot on the ball. And what that means is, it's getting that, that bubble point is reached on the kettle mic, the game's overing, it could tip against you. That's when all of a sudden you don't turn the gas off or the electricity off, you turn it down a bit. And this is when it, it goes foul, foul, foul. And you're doing almost like what the horse rider does at equestrian. You're putting some sort of control into the, into the horse uh, and you're doing this with the players. You're actually saying, just a minute, I'm not going to allow that to happen. It's going bubbly. And sometimes, as in my Manchester United uh, Arsenal debacle some years ago, I allowed the bubble to, to boil over. And then you got the mass confrontation. So it is down to skill set and experience. But one of the calls we should talk about from Carrow Red at the weekend, uh, offside and interfering with play. Daniel Farker unhappy that uh, Todd Cantwell was ruled to be interfering with Kasper Schmeichel, saying, well, he can see. Uh, you know, if, if he wasn't there, Schmeichel doesn't make the save. Does Daniel Farker have a case? No, absolutely not. I, I think this was a absolute black and white uh, scenario. The player was in an offside position. He was clearly in the sight line of Casper uh, Schmeichel. And Schmeichel was clever. Uh, I'm not suggesting that he moved into ensuring that that player was in front of him. The player was in front of him. And therefore, hey, we can... we. You know, we've done a lot of stretch with the offside law over the years. We started talking about active and non-active. We talked about interfering with play, gaining an advantage, all these sort of scenarios. Uh, and in a way, they've moved the law to clarify it more in the eyes of the referee. I still think it needs adjustment. I still think that the benefit of the doubt should go to the forward. But in this occasion, he stood offside. He shouldn't be there. He should use his brain the forward and move out of the way. It's his fault, not the referees, for disallowing the goal. And the manager of Norwich should go back, have a look at the law, and then have a look at the clip and say to his players, use your brain. Now, before we go, Keith, uh, one of my favourite parts of the programme, um, this is where we take a look at the laws of the game and perhaps identify something that needs changing. Uh, our thanks to Benjamin Bloom for this suggestion. If you do want to get in touch with uh, a suggestion of your own, hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk is our email address, or you can send us a tweet. We are at seen underscore them underscore given. Bit of a mouthful on a podcast but it's easier to write down uh law change then this from benjamin bloom i'd love to hear about shepherding the ball out for a goal kick often a totally blatant foul seems to be allowed if you want to win yourself a goal kick 
Let's discuss this then, Keith. Shepherding the ball out of play. What does the law say about this particular scenario? Right. First of all, I think that we, we do see referees not applying the law at times. So we, we used to talk about obstruction, but now we talk about impeding. Uh, impeding the progress of an opponent without contact. So what, what the law says a player may shield the ball by taking a position between an opponent and the ball if the ball is within playing distance. Right? Okay. So let's assume that we've got a defender. Uh, he's shielding the ball. It's good. He wants it to go out for a goal kick. He can do that. He's allowed to do that if the ball remains in playing distance. And let's say that is the stretch of a, a leg, a couple of feet or more in distance and he's allowed to do that he's not allowed and this is what does happen mike he's not allowed to use his hands and arms or his body you know leaning in holding out pulling all those sort of scenarios arms out to prevent the player playing the ball if he does that he's unfairly impeding and um, so it's this this whole question of the ball being within playing distance. If he's shepherding the ball and he stops and the ball be go, you know, goes a couple of feet or more, then he's committed an offence. Is this one of those things where we see because referees don't call it, it then becomes less and less likely over time for anyone else to be called for a similar offence? Yeah. It's, it's almost out of it, fashion. It, well, uh, <laughs> no. When did you last see six seconds come into play with a goalkeeper in possession of the ball? You know what? I'm going to time a match this week and I'm going to sound the <laughs> goalkeepers. I, I, I promise you I'll do this and I'll come back. Uh, I'm going to take a look at a match from, from, from the 90 minutes and I'm going to time how long the goalkeeper, each goalkeeper, holds onto the ball, Keith. And I'll come back to you on that one. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, you know, I, I mean, I've not seen it uh, yet. I see uh, goalkeepers breaking that law fairly regularly. The other law, of course, is, um, is, again, practice in the past compared to practice now. Practice in the past was the, the linesman, assistant referee, would stand in line with the penalty area as the goalkeeper is in possession of the ball and wait there until the ball is released and then sprint upfield to the offside position. The modern referee will check that on one occasion because the general view is offside is more important than the goalkeeper overstepping the penalty area by a yard but again stretch comes into play and often you know i'm at, when i'm watching games at peniston church i smile because the fans around me are in line with the penalty area and therefore they see it more and shout more about it so again, it, these are things that the law has been stretched, and I think that uh, there is that there is that danger. By the way, on that shielding the ball, that here comes the the rub that that the if you like the attacker who's trying to gain possession of the ball, he's allowed to charge an opponent in that situation. And how often do we see that happening? And we don't penalized? see that anymore. It gets penalised. Yeah, but in law, he is allowed to charge. Now, we can get into a whole debate with younger referees when we're coaching them as to what is the charge. 
See, now, my uneducated view of this would be using your shoulder, perhaps, yeah. uh, to sidestep into someone. You know, a push in the back you couldn't do, but you could go shoulder to shoulder and compete for the ball there. Would I be that's, correct or am I wrong? Yeah, I'd see it that way. That That's a charge. If you're if you're using your hands, that's a push and that's a foul. And you get a foul, a free kick. The other scenario around this, Mike, where it does create a problem and referees have to be really careful. And that is, we've seen the clock being ticked down. And then, and we then see on a regular occasion that the team that's winning, marching the ball slowly to the corner flag and then putting the foot on it. And the old scenario becomes very messy and can be volatile. In that situation, I say to referees, find a foul. Don't let it deteriorate to the point that you've really got a mass problem. So in summary, shielding the ball, you can do it, but you've got to be in playing distance. And very often there's a lot of infringements around it that we're just not enforcing at the moment. So it's not a law change. It's the enforcement of present law, Keith. Yeah, I think the other side of it, Mike, just stretching that a little bit, and that is... It is an offence if you impede the progress of an opponent by moving into the opponent's path to obstruct, block, slow down, or force a change of direction when the ball is not within playing distance. So this is another area of law where the law is clear. It comes under impeding. It is unfair impeding. It is an offence. And... uh, you know, often I see blocking offences taking place at corner kicks. Chelsea's uh, former manager, Jose Mourinho, uh, certainly in his time with Chelsea, really made use of this quite often. We got cute to it and we started blowing it almost immediately. Well, we'll look forward over the international break uh, to uh, seeing how often this is called over the, uh, the next week or so. Keith, as always, brilliant to have you on fascinating as always if you've got a question for keith uh you want to maybe propose a scenario or a law that you'd like to see change or have us discuss a particular scenario in the game get in touch hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk or as i say you can find us on twitter just search for seen them given if you stayed with us for the whole show thanks so much for listening thanks for your support we'll have new episodes of seen them given every monday and if you've enjoyed the show the most brilliant thing that you can do is leave a review or indeed a rating wherever you get your podcast it really helps other people to discover the show as well keith thanks again for your company thanks mike thanks so much for yours as well and we'll see you next time